TheOAMNetwork.com For the love of God. For the love of God. For the love of God! For, for, for the love of God! For the love of God! For, for, for the love of God! God, God. For the love of God. You're listening for the love of God. I'm your host, Sean Mosley. I want to let you know today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash OAM. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Remember, that's www.audibletrial.com forward slash OAM. We have a great show for you today. We recorded today's episode inside the beautiful and scenic sanctuary of the Church of the River. We talk with Reverend Eric Pulsa, interim minister for the Church of the River, about his personal faith and views. Going into my young adult years, I was finding myself seeking something during my college years in particular, and being told about this more uh, religiously, spiritually, theologically open uh, religious community, uh, the UU congregation in the town where I went to college, Denton, Texas, north of Dallas, was what opened me to the possibility of finding a life of faith that was open to my questions and my explorations and my doubts. We also talk about the denomination of Unitarian Universal. We often say that our first principle is the inherent worth and dignity of every person. And that means people of every racial identity, people of every uh, gender and gender identity, people of every sexual orientation, and affirming the equality that exists between us and the connections that we can build across our differences is very meaningful to us humans. For more information, go to churchoftheriver.org. For the love of God, we're here at the Church of the River. Memphis, Tennessee, with Reverend Poza. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for coming. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for doing this. Glad to. I really appreciate it. Really appreciate your time uh, and inviting us into this beautiful sanctuary. It is awesomely beautiful. (laughs) We uh, feel very blessed by our surroundings. The for those who've not been to our church, there are huge glass windows in the front of the sanctuary overlooking the Mississippi River, which is about 50 feet away. And I particularly feel blessed by the best view out the minister's office I've ever had in any church I've ever served. (laughs) Awesome. When I was looking out here, I was thinking when I was a kid, this would have been awesome Mm. because I would have just stared out the window the whole time. we do have something interesting when a barge goes down the river during the sermon. I can often see people's heads tracking the boat as it goes by. How long have you? How long have you been here now? Uh, I'm actually new. I've just been here since August of this year, so a little over four months. I am an interim minister. Mm-hmm. That is to say, I come into a church for just a year or two to help it through the transition between one long-term pastor and the next. And the 
pastor who served this church for 32 years, Reverend Burton Carley, just retired this past summer. And so they're starting the process of putting together the search for their next pastor. So I'll be here for probably another year and a half. Do you like doing that? You like being an interim? Uh, interim, yes, I do. As a matter of fact, it's a different kind of ministry. Mm-hmm. It's faster paced and it allows us to really focus on some key areas of uh, transition for a church. It's not just about keeping the lights on in the meantime, but helping the church go through and manage the times of change. Uh, let me ask you this. Were you like uh, a military kid? Were you moved around a lot? or No, I was actually very stationary as a kid. I was uh, born and raised in Fort Worth, Texas, okay. specifically a, a suburb called Kennedale, which feels like this small, semi-rural town, but it's also a suburb and also in the middle of this big metropolitan area. So sort of a mix of uh, all kinds of suburban, urban, and rural mixed together. Okay. Um, so how many different churches have you been to so far now? I have, this is the fourth church that I have served as an interim, and I was also uh, settled somewhat more long-term. I served about four years at a church in Texas as well. Mm-hmm. So how are you finding Memphis? Do you like Memphis? Oh, this has been my favorite city to live in in many years, certainly my favorite outside of my home state. There's so much uh, culture, so much richness, and so much to do here. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. Oh, what's your favorite thing to do here? Oh, live music, getting out and hearing bands, yes. Uh, Yeah, I I assume there's a lot of that to do here. Yes. Uh, How do you feel about uh, the religious climate of Memphis? In many ways, it's very familiar. Uh, Growing up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, Mm -hmm. another large southern metropolis, uh, there's quite a bit of overlap. This is, of course, a heavily churched culture. Still today, even as uh, church participation is waning across the country, but uh, still more prominent here than other parts of the country. And... There are some good and bad things that go along with that. I think there's still a good deal of groundedness and community, sense of community that comes from being engaged in a religious community, a congregation. Uh, and at the same time, it can be a subtle motivation to stay divided. Uh, I'm reminded of Dr. King telling us that Sunday at 11 a.m. is the most segregated hour in America. And it's as true now as when he said those words. So there's some progress, but there's still so much further to go. Yeah, indeed. Uh, That's why I really wanted to uh, interview somebody from the Unitarian Universalist Church from here on out in the podcast will be referenced as UU yes. <laughs> to save on some syllables. <laughs> uh, it, it seems like to me from from the little that I know about it, but it seems like it, it's trying to incorporate and bring all of those things together and bring people together from every background. And That's very true. We often say that our first principle is the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Mm-hmm. And that means people of every racial identity, people of every uh, gender and gender identity, people of every sexual orientation, and affirming the equality that exists between us and the 
connections that we can build across our differences is very meaningful to us you use yeah that that that's awesome so if i can go back sure you moved around a lot yes at least four different places Mm -hmm. who were the key people in your life i know you sometimes you may well one thing that has made this life of travel uh possible for me has been my spouse, Susie. Uh, We are blessed to be in a position in our lives where we can be mobile, and that's not true for everyone. So uh, certainly certainly my marriage to her has been an incredible source of strength. I was raised not so much with strong family connections, though of course with both of my parents in the home, but I was an only child. And Many of my uh, more extended family members lived across the country. But being connected, particularly to her, to my wife, and to uh, so many of those with whom I share this faith, given that I travel across the country, I get to meet UUs from all over the country. Mm -hmm. And that's been a real blessing to continue some of those connections. And it's frankly an advantage of the internet and social media era uh, (laughs) that particularly when you have a mobile lifestyle and you are moving about every couple of years, you can stay connected in many ways to those who uh, may now be a thousand or more miles away. Yeah. Um, So, what made you want to be a, a reverend, a minister? You know, it's interesting. I was raised unchurched. Oh, really? But in one of those small southern towns where nobody's really raised unchurched. And even though I didn't have that connection, in going into my young adult years, I was finding myself seeking something during my college years in particular. And being told about this more... Uh, religiously, spiritually, theologically open uh, religious community, uh, the UU congregation in the town where I went to college, Denton, Texas, north of Dallas, was what opened me to the possibility of finding a life of faith that was open to my questions and my explorations and my doubts. Mm -hmm. And uh, joined a little over 20 years ago as I was finishing up college and didn't look back. I have joked, though it's actually not a joke, it's completely true. I signed the church's membership book in March, and the church asked me to be on the church board in April. Okay. <laughs> Small congregations, that happened sometimes, yeah. which was true of my home church. Uh, wonderful group of people. And an opportunity for me to find my own leadership, my own voice, my own spirituality, and not to feel like I had to keep my questions to myself. Mm-hmm. So that was a rich experience for me Cool. in my early adult years. Have you had any, uh, over 20 years, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure you had some low points, some high points. Uh, uh, Definitely so. I'd say the, the obvious low point was my divorce. Uh, my wife is my second wife, mm-hmm. and it was around the time I was getting ordained, as it happened, that my first marriage came to an end. So even with something wonderful happening in my religious life, it was also a spiritually low time, as that mm-hmm. many of us who go through that experience have, feel that way. But 
again, being connected with others in my faith. My um, One of my best friends at the time was also a seminary student, lived in Chicago, but we stayed in regular touch. And were able to connect with her, with others, in ways that kept me grounded and kept me stable through the low points until I found myself kind of gradually reconnecting and deepening my connections with the people around me and with life as a whole and deepening my connection with God ultimately, Mm -hmm. even in the moments when that felt harder. There were still quite a few moments that built over time where I found my my faith and my understanding of life was richer because I had dealt with some of the pain I was going through at the time. So, yeah, what, what didn't kill you made you stronger? True. What didn't kill me made me better equipped, maybe. Okay. It's less poetic, but uh, I had more skills, more tools, uh, could engage my spiritual practices, my prayer life, and my devotions uh, more deeply. Not for a while, but as I was coming out of that time. And with uh, it meant something more to me for having gone through the experience. You feel like it made you a better minister? Like I can understand what somebody else is going through. I there have certainly been many, many cases when I found myself uh, working with a church member or a couple in the church who were going through real struggles or facing a divorce and had a level of understanding of the experience that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, You could argue whether that makes you a better minister, but it certainly makes you a different minister. Okay. And that's been, it's the kind of ministry that I've felt over time more comfortable offering Mm -hmm. than with some other situations others may face where I don't have the same familiarity. Okay. Uh, So what's a high point that you had? Like, you know, I, it's hard for me to look for a peak experience. Mm -hmm. Um, honestly, the one that comes to mind was my first real direct experience of God. Uh, Mm -hmm. again, being raised unchurched, I, I didn't know what to look for in connecting with God and lost interest over time. Uh, by the time I started college, I, was identifying as an atheist and just Mm -hmm. had no interest. But it was shortly after I got married for the first time and shortly after I started attending the UU church, still calling myself probably an agnostic by that point, Mm -hmm. but knowing that that was acceptable there. When I had just an experience one evening listening to music and feeling something move through me. This power, this presence uh, flow through. And I was reminded of uh, the words of Emerson, who was a Unitarian minister uh, before becoming such a famous writer, that I had read, uh, I had just read for a class, uh, where he speaks of the currents of the universal being flow through me. Mm-hmm. And I knew that that's what I was experiencing, even though I had no uh, previous context for that before. So that that dramatic experience of a direct presence of something holy uh, was a starting point for me. 
even more so, I think, than my church attendance. <laughs> yeah. Though I think starting to be engaged in a religious community may have made me a little bit more open to recognizing the experience for what it was. Okay. Have you felt that again? I have at various points in my life. Uh, for me, particularly at times when it feels like things are going well, it's, there's a, a confirmation and, uh, I am more open to the connections when I'm not distracting myself with the worries and the anxieties of the day. Mm-hmm. Is that like a, a meditation or? Sometimes it comes during my pr- times of prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, often it will come spontaneously. Oh, awesome. And it's, uh, it feels so refreshing and such an affirmation and a blessing when I can recognize, okay, I'm not getting in my own way right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not getting in the way of God connecting with me. Awesome. Do you have a, a personal philosophy on on just happiness? You know, it parallels what I just said. Uh-huh. I tend to think of happiness more as the consequence okay. than as a goal. In other words, living a meaningful life, living a rewarding life. Uh, Living the kind of life where things are going in directions that connect with my own soul, my own deeper sense of myself. When I have those moments, I am that much more likely to be happy. Okay. Sure, short-term happiness can come through all kinds of temporal things, be it seeing an old friend, uh, hearing some good music. And for some of us, it comes through more long-term harmful experiences like drugs or alcohol. Mm-hmm. But and it, a long-term happiness really comes through, for me, in my experience, living the kind of life that's meaningful and rewarding for me. Okay. Well, so, I mean, if you can expand a little bit on what like a meaningful life is in, your, in what your idea of a meaningful life is. A couple of things. One is... One where I'm affirming the values that are most important to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, loving God and, actually, I'd say it differently, loving God through loving neighbor. Uh, loving God through loving other people. Mm-hmm. The value of justice and striving for what is more right and just in our world. And there have been various points in my life where being engaged in social justice work has been particularly important. And finding ways of living my life that resonate, that feel right, but it's not just about the emotion. It's about having a sense of myself, of what's important to me, and resonating Engaging in work, engaging in action, activity that connects me with my own sense of my own soul. That's awesome. So, and it's easier said than done a lot of times. (laughs) Um, But over the course of my life, I have found, particularly since that low point I mentioned, which was about 10 years ago, uh, that those moments 
and days and months of having that feeling have increased. Mm-hmm. And the, the times of feeling absent of it have decreased. So it's a relief to feel like, okay, well, generally things are going well. And it's one where because I have the peace of mind and the strength that comes from being settled in that way, I feel not just an obligation, but a desire to help others be present with others in their search for that as well. And that's where so much of my call to ministry comes through. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So the denomination is Mm -hmm. Unitarian Universalist, which will further be noted as the UU. Uh, Can you give us, uh, I mean, it's not the most popular uh, of of denominations. Um, I think the first time I heard of it, I was looking at uh, like a Wikipedia page for Dave Chappelle. And it was, oh right! Said, like his mom was his mom was a UU minister. Yeah, yeah, not even a lot of UUs realize that. <laughs> um, so historically, the thumbnail sketch: uh, the Unitarians and the Universalists were two separate churches, oh, okay. and they both started back in the early days of American history. Both of them Protestant Christian denominations, but relatively liberal. I don't necessarily mean politically liberal, but. Uh, with a new, with outside the box beliefs on certain issues, the Universalists believed in universal salvation. They rejected a belief in eternal hell for okay. belief that all souls would be uh, united with God. The Unitarians um, were as opposed to Trinitarians. They did not believe in the Trinity. Mm-hmm. They tended to see Jesus not as um, part of God or as God, but as Yet another, and for some, the highest of those prophets and teachers who have wisdom to offer us about living a a moral and spiritual life. Mm -hmm. But they also both put a lot of stress on individual freedom of belief. You know, they didn't require their members to hold any particular belief to join their church. Mm-hmm. So over time, as they grew closer together, it made sense to merge, which happened in 1961. And I love everything about my religion except its name, which is a <laughs> mouthful, I will freely admit. Rather than come up with another name, uh, it is, they just put the two words together for Unitarian Universal uh, Association. Oh, how'd they figure out which you would go first? I understand there was some debate about <laughs> that, which is, again, not surprising. We, uh, Because we do value different viewpoints, we do nonetheless like to friendly have friendly arguments about them. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, what are some of the biggest misconceptions about UU? Honestly, I think the biggest one is that you can believe anything you want. Oh, okay. And it's a gross oversimplification. Because I, uh, I, I raise my hand. <laughs> sure, I can, un- and I can understand where that assumption comes from. But the way I describe it, we do not require you to hold any particular belief to be part of our church. But we do have a history. Uh, we do have a tradition of affirming individual freedom and dignity. And there are 
ways of being in the world and thinking about the world that flow from that, which if you if those are completely meaningless to you, it's not like we would refuse you membership, but you're probably not going to be happy at one of our churches. And you're, even <laughs> if you do join, it probably won't last. And we recognize that. We recognize that we are on different life paths. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, okay for, the, for there to be people who have different viewpoints than us. Mm-hmm. But if you were to hold a viewpoint that uh, only people of certain religious beliefs were uh, worthy of salvation or worthy of um, just being affirmed in our society, mm-hmm. you're going to find yourself very quickly challenged by being in a UU congregation because we affirm very strongly that uh, there are many paths to truth that all can offer some valid insights. Uh, over time, we have come become more and more open to seeking insights from uh, differing religious traditions. I was uh, reading a forum of UU ministers online just earlier today uh, where people were talking about getting ready for their Christmas Eve service. And we are rooted in the Christian tradition, so we do still celebrate many things like that. And we're asking what uh, readings would they be using in the worship service. And, uh, you know, going back and forth, Luke versus Matthew, John, maybe something from the Old Testament. And one mentioned, oh, and I, al- I always use the uh, reading about the birth of Jesus from the Quran. Oh, okay. You won't hear that in many churches, but that's perfectly relevant for us, so long as we're doing it respectfully, mm-hmm. which we certainly strive to do, we might occasionally fall short. No one is perfect. But, but striving to gain wisdom from other religious traditions and other sources of wisdom respectfully is very meaningful and relevant for us. Okay. So you mentioned something about <laughs> you may be challenged. <laughs> is that like a, a, a main thing of, of you, you like? we're all here and mm-hmm. no one is above being challenged in, in their thoughts or, or their belief. If That's correct. And frankly, that includes the minister. Uh, we, the way we talk about it is that we have a tradition of freedom of the pulpit where the minister has uh, the right and indeed the responsibility to uh, preach the truth as she or he sees it. And equal to that is the freedom of the pew which is not simply for the person sitting in the pew to say, I don't like what the minister's saying, I'm not buying that, but to really wrestle with it. And if they find what they are hearing goes radically against their deepest beliefs, Mm -hmm. there is no requirement to accept what I'm saying at face value from the pulpit. Oh, okay. So we we respect one another's freedom to disagree but also take each other seriously enough at our best to recognize well, this person might still have something to offer me, even if I would disagree with some parts of it. Like iron sharpening iron. Very much so. I, I think that is really the ideal we strive for uh, because I'm, I, who identifies still predominantly as a Christian, mm-hmm. uh, albeit a theologically pretty liberal one, uh, liberal enough that some Christians might disagree with me identifying that way, but that's fine. But I could find myself in conversation with uh, someone who engages both with UUism and Buddhism, 
mm-hmm. and, and many people do, and find something that I can learn and find some uh, incredible lessons for my own spiritual life. Indeed, some of the Buddhist teachings about uh, non-attachment oh, yeah. were very meaningful for me when I was going through that time of divorce, mm-hmm. of recognizing that, okay, there are things changing in my life. I need not to be too attached to the details, but to stay true for what's most important and let some of the other things go. So, uh, after your sermon, how many mm-hmm. times have you been challenged to approach? It happens. Oh, it happens from time to time. Um, I uh, remember one church where I was uh, speaking about, I was giving a guest sermon, and I said something about the Black Lives Matter movement, which mm-hmm. has been very meaningful to me, and which I've had a, a small involvement in myself, and was challenged by a member of the congregation who spoke about the lives of police mattering also. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have a lot of time, of course, immediately after the service, but did have a brief conversation about, you know, there is, among other things, the fact that saying Black Lives Matter doesn't mean you're saying other lives don't matter. It's just affirming the importance of lives that have not been affirmed in so many aspects of our society. Yeah. I like to say black lives do matter. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, So how many, I know like um, military um, chaplains, Mm -hmm. they need to know like something about like, every religion yes when you were going through you, you went through seminary i did how many different re- religions did you have to learn about or was it just like i'm gonna learn christianity and i'll learn the other stuff on my own oh no we are required i mean many of us do attend as i did uh christian seminaries i went to Texas Christian University in Fort Worth, uh, Bright Divinity School is their seminary that's associated with them. But I also took uh, a couple of specific classes separately about Unitarian Universalist history, uh, did some study of our approach to religious education, and we were required to take a course in world religions. Hmm. Now, there was a great world religions professor at my Christian seminary, uh, but Knowing at least enough of the basics of certainly Judaism, and many people who were raised Jewish and still identify as Jewish find connections with UUism, uh, with Islam, with Hinduism. Uh, we have an active member of this congregation who was raised Muslim in Syria. Um, with uh, Buddhism, as I mentioned, is uh, there are a number of UUs who also connect with Buddhism in various ways, uh, with paganism, with the various neo-pagan movements. Um, and I've had several friends who were UU and pagan. So knowing enough to know how to engage someone spiritually and find the resonance and help them to articulate for themselves what's most meaningful for them is important. It doesn't mean I'm going to be um, leading a, a winter solstice ritual on Monday and a uh, Hanukkah service the next day and then Christmas Eve two days later. Mm-hmm. But it means that I can help this member teach their children what's important about their Jewish heritage mm-hmm. and connect that with broader culture and Unitarian Universalism. I'll also talk with 
the pagan about how the winter solstice is impacting them and how they're looking forward to the light coming back, not just really, but metaphorically in their lives, and look at the Christmas message of something new coming into our world and find spiritual connections in all of those. Awesome. So what is a typical uh, Church of the River service on Sunday? It's actually going to be a lot more familiar than some people might think. Mm -hmm. We are, again, rooted in our Protestant Christian history. So our approach to Sunday morning worship very much reflects that. You're going to have hymns. You're going to have a sermon. You're going to have readings. Uh, In the services that I personally lead, I usually have both an ancient reading, which comes from Scripture, most often Jewish or Christian Scripture, but occasionally from another source, Mm -hmm. and also a modern or contemporary reading that will be a poetry essay writing from some more contemporary source that reflects the same theme and lifts up similar lessons and will reflect on and unpack and interpret some of those in the course of the sermon. But, uh, some of the music will be UU specific, but much of it will be familiar Christian hymns. Uh, we, the choir did do, uh, Jewish piece during Hanukkah, mm-hmm. piece of traditional Jewish music during Hanukkah. And at the same time, uh, you're going to hear a lot that's familiar and some things that would be different. Uh, I'd say this church compared to some other UU churches honestly leans more towards the traditional service and would probably be even more familiar than some other UU churches. And one thing that's ro- wonderful about our diversity is that's going to vary from church to church as well as from person to person. Does the service, does it like move and shape with like the the type of beliefs that people have? Like if there's more atheists or something like that, or if there's more Jewish uh, who have a Jewish tradition. At one congregation versus another one, you mean? Right. Does that change like what the service would be like? or is It, it might like- a little bit, but I think it's... It's more determined by everything from the size of the church. Mm -hmm. We're a mid-sized church, about 300 members, uh, whereas smaller churches that I've been in, like my home church in Denton, was more interactive, participatory. Uh, But I visited large churches, which had uh, worship as formal or more so than ours is. So it, it tends to be more factors like that. Factors like what part of the country you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be different in New England than it's going to be in the South. You know, so and it can be somewhat based on the the theological bent. But again, our starting point is our our Protestant heritage. Mm-hmm. And indeed, there are many who say that we are uh, we may or may not be Christian anymore, but we are the most Protestant church you'll find. <laughs> Awesome. Is there any uh, proselytizing? That's an interesting word. And it's a word which has a lot of meaning, often negative meaning, for many of our members who were, particularly those who were raised in other traditions. Sure. It's um, difficult to feel comfortable with proselytizing when you experienced it uh, yourself. Again, the town I grew up in, I may not have been in church, but because of that, I got proselytized quite a bit, and it left a real negative taste in my mouth for religion in general until I found the UU congregation. But that doesn't mean we try to hide our light under a bushel. Mm 
Far from it. Because there can be very meaningful ways of sharing our faith. I mean, the term evangelism really just means sharing good news. And we Unitarian Universalists have good news to share. It may be a little bit different than the good news you hear in other churches, but that doesn't mean we're not going to share it. Yeah. Yeah, I think a, a big part of proselytizing is saying, like, we're right, we're right, we're right, we have the right answer for you, and that doesn't seem to fit the UU model. No, um, I think of a friend of mine who was talking about campus ministry, colleges, mm-hmm. uh, who referred to other campus ministry groups saying, come join us, because if you have questions, we have answers. And the UU group would essentially say, come join us, because if you have questions, well, so do we. <laughs> And let's ask them together. <laughs> awesome. Um, I think that's all the questions I have. Were there any questions that you, you thought that I should have asked that, that I haven't? Um, nothing specific comes to mind. We certainly welcome anybody to join us here Sunday morning at 11 a.m. And we will... I hope you, if you do join us or look at us on our website, uh, churchoftheriver.org, will find this to be a place that is as accepting and affirming as it strives to be. Awesome. And you guys do a lot of, of work in the community. And Indeed. I, and I saw that. A number of outreach projects that many of our members are engaged in. And it's it's an honor to serve a congregation that understands the importance of reaching out. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to For the Love of God podcast. For more info, follow us on Twitter at the number four, the love of God underscore. Find us on Facebook. If you have any questions or concerns, you can send those to for the love of God dot podcast at gmail.com. This podcast is a joint production with the OM Network. For more information and other great podcasts, go to the OM Network.com.